Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. I'm flying solo today because uh, Joe Resinello had to duck out, but that's okay uh, because we're going to have a great conversation with someone who's very easy to have a conversation with, and that's Bill Donahue of the Catholic League. Um, and Bill's out with a new book. He's written numerous books, 10 books in all. This one, um, I mean, it's a must-read, The War on Virtue, How the Ruling Class is killing the American dream. Um, I, I mean, our audience knows, I mean, this is what Joe and I are all about, is talking about how we're really dealing with a lot of smug elites, and there's nobody better to comment on that than Bill Donahue. Now, many of you, most of you out there know who Bill Donahue is. Very quick bio. Bill Donahue was honorably discharged from the U.S. Air Force in 1970, began his teaching career in 1973, working at St. Lucie's School in Spanish Harlem. In 1977, he took a position as a college professor teaching at La Roche College in Pittsburgh. In 1980, he was awarded his PhD in sociology from New York University. In 2022, he was awarded an honorary doctorate of laws from Ave Maria Law School. As I said, he's written 10 books. His first book was The Politics of the American Civil Liberties Union. That was in 1985. He's written books on why Catholicism matters, how Catholic virtues can reshape society in the 21st century. And again, his most recent book, War on Virtue, How the Rule class is killing the american dream uh in 2023 bill starred in and was co-executive producer of a documentary documentary on disney entitled waltz disenchanted kingdom um and i recommend everybody go out there and please watch that documentary we're going to start the conversation with an update on that but very quickly uh bill is the president and ceo of the catholic league for religious and civil rights everyone out there please go on the website and give him your email so that you're updated on 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 a lot of stuff including all the atrocities that are going on not the least of which is the current state of affairs in new york bill i believe that that was a recent article today that you put out on what's going on in new york correct yes absolutely it's it's it, new york is in serious trouble uh financially morally culturally uh i don't i don't think it has much of a future i hate to say that because i love the city but it's been ruined by de blasio and uh and and, and mayor adams is somewhat of an improvement but he hasn't he hasn't done exactly what he should yeah, well, well, we'll get we'll get into that in uh, in a second. And Bill also serves on the advisory boards of many organizations, including the Society of Catholic Social Scientists and the Christian Film and Television Commission. He won several teaching awards, many awards from the Catholic community. Bill has appeared on thousands of television and radio shows, speaking on civil liberty, social issue, issues, and religion. In 2022, he was named the UK's Catholic Herald as one of the top 250 Catholic leaders in the United States. Bill Donahue, as always, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you so much for having me. So let's let's start with Disney for a second, uh, Bill, because I have a question I want to ask you. But very quickly, how's the documentary going? 
Has there been any rumblings from Disney? What's what's going on with that whole situation? Well, the numbers that we have seen, I can't believe it. Here about two weeks ago, we passed the one million mark of people who watched it on Amazon Prime. That doesn't count many other platforms. So millions of Americans have seen it. We were nominated uh, for six uh, awards at the Los Angeles uh, International Short Film Festival. We won four of the six, including Best Documentary. And now we're up for several other awards as well. In terms of Disney, I think that they're either going to try to go after us and sue us, or they're going to shut up. They did the latter, which is what I expected they would. We were very careful. We had lawyers involved. We, 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 we know what we took was from the public domain. They couldn't really challenge us on anything. They didn't want to say anything about us because they didn't want to draw attention to it. I think the real story here is not the fact that Disney didn't want to speak up, but that it's friends in The Hollywood Reporter, in E! Entertainment and, and Buzz and all these other places, all the media who cover variety, all of these media that cover uh, Disney and, and Hollywood, they wouldn't say a word about our movie. But guess what? We got a lot of friends out there, didn't stop it from getting massive circulation and awards. So too bad for Disney. They didn't beat us. Well, and, and you know what? And that, it really is, uh, 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 what would you call it? Uh, uh, that is our here at the front line with Joe and Joe. That's our raison d'etre. That's that's why we're in existence. Because if nothing else, Bill Donahue, if nothing else, we need to open our mouth. Now, you've been doing it for decades. You've been in the culture war uh, and, and, you know, out there for for decades fighting against uh, smug liberal elites. So that you're, no, you're no stranger than any, any of this. We try to emphasize, and we're going to talk about virtue, okay? Uh, part of being a, a, a virtuous person is to is to live the truth, to speak the truth. And we, we're, we're, we're in a culture, we're in a culture here of lies. Um, I mean, we, we could go for everything from Riley Gaines uh, to, 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 to Disney, the transgender movement, and the whole nine yards. Let's let's jump right into it. Um, but first of all, let's talk about virtue people hear that word all the time many many people probably including myself are not fully aware of what that means what is virtue it basically means a good habit all right aristotle cicero long before christ they were talking about it as well it was the catholic church of course uh with, with, with its its emphasis on prudence and temperance and fortitude and and justice the, the four cardinal virtues that really put it on the map but virtue is just basically a good habit that people develop. And, of course, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's functionally related to character. You can talk about, about virtue without talking about religion, but you can't go too far with it. Because Christianity in particular, our Judeo-Christian uh, heritage, has made virtue a premium. Because if you don't have virtue in, in your citizens, you're going to have the kind of mayhem that we see in Los Angeles and Chicago, in New York and other cities. Civilization doesn't hang together uh, out of magic. You have to have bounds and you have bonds between people. You have to respect boundaries. You have to practice self-discipline. And quite frankly, when it comes down to Joe is this, you have two choices in a free society. You either police yourself or the police will do the job for you. It's so much better to develop virtue and keep the cops at bay while people police themselves. But the breakdown in the civil society today with the family, with the church, with voluntary associations. That's the heart of civil society. Once once they break down, obviously virtue in, in, in terms of being inculcated into individuals also becomes very difficult to maintain. 
Bill Donahue, let me ask you this. Joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Bill Donahue, uh, the CEO of the Catholic League, his new book. Please go out and buy it, and most importantly, buy it from the publisher. It is available at Amazon. Yes, it is. However, we want to support our Catholic publishers, in this case, Sophia Press, The War on Virtue, How the Ruling Class is Killing the American Dream. Bill Donahue, I could hear people out there, people that disagree with us, uh, people that were, of course, fighting against. Oh, uh, that's just... That's just your Catholic or right-wing paranoia. Bill, you're, you're a student of history, okay? The most powerful empire that ever existed for a 1,000 years was the Roman Empire, okay? What was the root cause of their decline and their fall? Virtue. Radical, Lack yeah, of virtue. Exactly. Radical individualism. They gave up on virtue. It's been well recorded. And very few people... Uh, look, it was Christianity that brought virtue back. That's what brought us back into the Middle Ages then, uh, and, and be able to develop it and be, between Aquinas and, and Augustine and, 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 and the great uh, philosophers and theologians in the Catholic Church. Uh, but, you know, you can be an atheist if you're smart. You'll understand you still need virtue. I studied under Sidney Hook, who was a brilliant philosopher. He happened to be an atheist. He was, was no anti-Catholic bone in his body. He understood the importance of virtue. Unfortunately, today, there aren't too many Sidney Hooks in the secular community. Today, when you see seculars, you generally see activists, and, you, and they, they become increasingly militant. And just to touch on one thing right here very quickly, I, my staff is looking into this right now, the increased violence on the part of transgender people and their supporters is becoming a serious problem in this country. We no longer have a matter of, well, we disagree here and there, and we're tracking it. And uh, this is what happens as the civilizations crash when people don't police themselves. Bill Donahue, I, I, something happened. I saw something recently that I think pertains to this conversation, all right? Um, obviously, we're dealing, your, your fight here in this book, amongst other people you're pushing back on are the, the, the smug elites, and we'll, we'll talk about them and, and talk about them more. I saw a video recently. I love your comment on this. Um, the, uh, the Young Turks, they're a left-wing outfit. Okay, uh, Cenk Uyghur, I think, is his name. It sounded so, and I don't use the word lightly when I say Orwellian. The left likes to use that word, and they don't even know what they mean by it. But what I mean is this: Remember an animal farm, and they had their they had the commandments. I think the seventh commandment was all animals are equal, right? Then they changed it afterwards to all animals are more equal than others. Again, separating out one group, okay, that the rules don't apply to. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up. I watched the host of the Young Turks basically say, who's a, a gun control nut, okay, wants to ban all guns and everything else, but yet the only group of people in this country that he would think should own guns are transgender people. And the first thought that came to my mind was Animal Farm. I'm like, you describe the attack, he calls laws that are meant to protect us, people like us and our children, all right, um, in other words, are, are attacks, on the transgender community, okay? This is how we push back. We protect ourselves through law. We protect our schools. We want to protect our families. We want to protect our kids. And he says that those are attacks, and they're rightfully met at the bad end of a bullet. That's the way I took him. And I say to myself, well, what a hypocrite. Guns aren't good for anybody, but if you're transgender, you really should own one. Your thoughts on that, Bill? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Look, you're dealing with people who the word principle means nothing. It's all about politics. And as you said uh, very astutely here just, just a few minutes ago, it comes down to truth. They don't believe in truth. They are the ultimate postmodernists who think that truth is a fiction. And so we're back to where, where Pilate says to Jesus, uh, what is truth? 
Uh, these guys are philosophers now, and they're and social media people, they're, they're professors, uh, the Young Turks and the like. They don't believe that they have to be consistent, have to be virtuous. They don't believe in, in principles. They believe in winning. And they believe in winning at any cost, including violence, as you astutely just pointed out. They don't care whether you, they're called hypocrites. They're not interested in that. That would bother us if somebody said to us, well, you're unprincipled because you're inconsistent here and there. These people just laugh at the idea. Uh, it's uh, it's almost like uh, the, like the like Lenin, uh, you know, like the like the, the dupes that they, the intellectuals are are just carrying their water, and they know that they're just playing us. So this is what happens when you deal with the hardcore left, uh, of which these people are, and uh, unfortunately, it's not confined this mentality simply to the margins, the ones on the fringe. What's happened to our society very quickly in the last four or five years, in particular, is that the elites in our society in almost every quarter, have now adopted the woke politics. They don't believe in truth. So now you have the corporations, not just the Hollywood and educators and the media and the artistic community. You now have the corporate 500, the Forbes, the Forbes 500, the healthcare industry elite, the joint Jesus Pass elites. Notice I didn't say the average military person or, or doctor or nurse, but the elites in our society have now turned left and they are against the whole idea that virtue is what matters if you're going to succeed. And they've basically given up on that, particularly for some segments of our population. Bill, let me let me ask you this um, about, about virtue in a little bit of a larger context. Some people might listen to this and say, ah, you're just a bunch of cu couple of Catholic guys. Um, how does this pertain to me? I would say this. I know, you mentioned Sidney Hook, right? Um, in my personal life, I, I have dear friends of mine uh, who are atheists, uh, unfortunately fallen away Catholics. Um, but one thing is this. I notice in the, in the people I know that they still recognize logos. Now, in our, when we use the word logos, obviously we're using the word as Saint John did in the beginning of his gospel. The logos became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, but talk about for a second to some of our non-believing brothers and sisters out there that might hear this. You may not believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't believe these same people reject logos as, let's say, for I would say, a philosophical, uh, a philosophical concept. The idea of order. That order is a good thing. That it is not a bad thing. And we'll get into some of the, the, the we'll get into some of the details as far as the vital virtues. But but people recognize that what is being proposed in this culture war by these smug elites, to, uh, you know, that you're answering with your book, okay, is a rejection of logos, just the the very idea of order. Talk about that a little bit. Well, the founders believe, and I believe, and I'm sure you believe, we believe in something called ordered liberty. What does that mean? It, well, let's let's begin by what it's saying. It doesn't believe. We don't believe in libertinism, the idea that liberty is licensed, that you can do whatever you want and make up your, your own rules on the fly, people walking around with their own moral compass and whatnot. Look, society is based, I'm a sociologist, society is based on a consensus. That does not mean unanimity. It does mean general agreement. We have to generally agree on what is right and what is wrong. And what we have is an attempt here with these people attacking the whole concept of Logos, is that they're going to substitute their political agenda. And they're not interested in truth. They're not interested in, in fact, the idea of ordered liberty, meaning that you, you have some boundaries, that you have to put some brakes on yourself. I mean, I've always said this, before a young person should be given one right, he should be given a lot of responsibilities. Responsibility should come first. They should precede uh, uh, rights. And yet we have it just the opposite in our country. 
So all these students go to school and they all know what their rights are. None of them know what their responsibilities are. And that is a recipe for disaster. Ordered liberty means that you understand as an individual that you have to put the brakes on your id, on your pleasure principle, on, on your most base appetites. That's the way people cohere together in a society. Otherwise, you have moral anarchy, which is becoming very close to in our society today, driven by a secular mania that believes that religion is somehow anathema to freedom. The freest societies always have a healthy dose of religion. You take religion out, and what you wind up with is Hitler's Germany, Stalin's Russia, Pol Pot's Vietnam, and Mao's uh, China. Who the hell would want to live there? No, I, I well, I, I guess the ones running those countries would want to live yeah. there, but they certainly wouldn't want to be the subjects of those governments. Bill Donahue joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. I'm flying solo today, Joe Pasillo. Please, wherever you see this video, or if you're listening on Veritas Catholic Network, remember, follow Joe and I, Joe and I on social media at the Frontline TV on YouTube and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Please, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Bill Donahue's joining us. The War on Virtue is his book, subtitle, How the ruling class is killing the American dream. That's out from Sophia Press. You could also buy it on Amazon. Bill, let's break it down a little bit, okay? Um, the most effective way, as you just described, to succeed in society, particularly in this case, America, is practicing vital virtues. Now, Bill, let me tell you something. All right, I'm 55 years old. I made a lot of mistakes in my life, okay? I think the one good thing about being a Roman Catholic, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is you, you're, you're compelled to look in the mirror and understand all the, all the rotten decisions you've made. I was never taught. And my father was a flawed man, okay? I was never taught in my family that I didn't have to take responsibility for my life, that I could live a life of just, let's say, like you said, libertinism or whatever the case might be, this license, without there being some consequences, and I've suffered them in my life, okay? But now, so let's break it down. When I was younger, self-discipline. I didn't discipline myself that much. I did thank God enough that I came back around. Talk about that first, the idea that our intellect needs to rule our passions, because right now it seems to me that that relationship has been completely inverted. If you don't have self-discipline, you're not going to succeed. I also, of course, I talk about personal responsibility and perseverance, but just take self-discipline. I, I mentioned in the book Tom Seaver, Tom Brady, uh, Michael Jordan, just to give people a familiarity. These guys all had natural God-given abilities, didn't they? However, they will tell you they did not succeed to the top because of luck or because of God-given talents. They had to work very hard. They had to exercise self-control. They had to exercise self-discipline, impulse behavior that they had to check. And that's what enabled them, one of the vital virtues, to become the successful athletes that they are. And that is also true as I look at demographic groups, Asians, Jews, Nigerians, and, and Mormons. These are four of the most well-educated and successful, economically successful groups in our society, they all come from intact families of a father and a mother. I mean, most of them, obviously. Right, sure. Speaking. And they had the vital virtues inculcated or, or, or taught to them at a very young age. And that's what makes you a success. The idea that you can just willy-nilly go out there and succeed and not practice self-discipline. You know, the, the Asians, particularly the Chinese, if you notice... A lot of the, the Chinese boys and girls at a young age, they have them, they have them practice the violin. 
Now, why would you do that? Because they're into music? Not really. They know that the violin, in order to excel in the violin, you have to exercise self-discipline. And if you exercise self-discipline and nurture that, and it becomes a habit forming, when it comes to doing your homework, you won't give up right away. You'll persevere if you have adver adversity. All of these things are interrelated. And, and we live in a society today where self-control is, is regarded as, as, as taboo. Mm. That, that, you know, it's like we're back to thou shalt not. And yes, we should be back to thou shalt not. Those have become the two most dreaded words in the English language because we don't want to be told by anybody, not certainly not by God, who doesn't exist. Just now, we've just seen evidence on a crisis pregnancy center where the, 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 the people who are against life are now scribbling with graffiti on the outside of it, abort God. Now, why would they do something like that? Because they know that God is the enemy in everything they're doing. They know it in their heart of hearts is running against God and against humankind. We have a number of people in our society who are very, very troubled. In some cases, it's involuntary. We need to give them help. In other cases, they're sick, all right, but they, they know exactly what they're doing, and they have no intention of backing down. And, and, and unless our side is able to checkmate them, uh, this is going to continue. Well, like I said, Bill, I think the best way that would the, the, the start would be the, or the action would be unlike them who, who want to engage in violence. OK, and we've seen that, obviously, particularly since the overturning of Roe versus or before them with the leak of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, is that our response is to throw our hat into the public arena, into the free marketplace of ideas to challenge people. You've been doing it for decades. I want to challenge you. I don't want to punch you in the face. I don't want to shoot you. I don't want I don't want you to get you I don't want to cost you your job or the ability to put food on the table. I want to challenge you in the free marketplace of ideas. I want to challenge your ridiculous ideas and let people watch that and then make up their minds. Okay. Um, and that's another thing. I love your comment on that. In this culture war, uh, you talked about we we talked about discussed truth uh briefly earlier. Um, they don't want to hear it. That's why they stifle debate. That's why they try to shut down Twitter, and that's why they try to control YouTube. That's why they hate. Elon Musk, okay, uh, because somebody turns around and says, well, hold it, hold it. Uh, we live in a free society. We have a free marketplace of ideas. There's no such thing as hate speech. There's no such thing as speech controls. We have a First Amendment, and we need to be, we need to speak that. Talk about the necessity, Bill, to open your mouth, to challenge them the way they challenge us. I think that that would win over a lot of hearts and minds because that's what we're willing to do. As much as they say we're closed-minded, I say they're closed-minded, and the evidence of that is that they won't debate real debates on all of these things that plague us right now. Let, let, let me, you're absolutely right now. Let me be very specific here. I got this job in large part because of my successful debating opportunities on Crossfire, on Phil Donahue and other shows and, and back in the 1980s and early 1990s. And I took over in 93. And then three years later, Fox News came along and I was a regular there on Hannity and Combs, another debating show. There's no Crossfire. There's no Phil Donahue show. There's no, there's no uh, uh, Hannity and Combs. And it's not because our side has been running. The left can't win in, an argument with people who have common sense and who, who are, who are well-educated. They are based on emotion. They're, go, they're based on fear. They don't believe in freedom of speech. You don't see the debates on TV anymore, rarely on TV, left versus right. It's not because conservatives don't want to debate the left. It's because the left doesn't want to debate us, because when they do, they generally lose. 
and they just they, they just know they, they they don't believe in anything uh, except their own political agenda. So yeah, you're going to see uh, this is exactly where we're at. They are afraid of truth, and that's why they don't want to debate. Well, that's why we're glad that you wrote your book, and the book, which is available at Amazon and on Sophia Press, The War on Virtue, How the Ruling Class is Killing the American Dream. Talk about personal responsibility, Bill, because you broke that down a little bit. You talked about self-discipline, personal responsibility. Yeah, I do something. I, there's going to be a consequence, whether that be a good consequence or a bad consequence. Okay, I, may, I have to make good and, and prudent decisions in my life. All people do, or else, you know, and again, you can't go crying all the time to this group or that group or to the government. You have to take responsibility. You got to be a big boy or a big girl, all right? Put on your big boy pants and take responsibility for your decisions. That, I mean, you just have to look at the TV, all right? Look out at the culture, and that's why you wrote your book. Um, that's gone. Personal responsibility, that's totally shredded. Well, that's true, and I blame a, a lot of it on parents and teachers because they're the ones best situated to teach young people about being responsible for themselves, and they've not done as good a job as they should have. And it's even worse than that. We have, we have, we are a nation of victims. You know, I, I quote Robert Nisbet, the great sociologist of the book. He says, as far as the liberals are concerned, for every crime there are two victims. You have the guy who's been mugged, but also the mugger himself is a victim of society. We just saw this uh, this week in Chicago when the kids were going crazy last weekend and destroying everything in the loop in the in the nice fashionable areas and 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 the and the newly elected mayor comes in and says that we should not demonize people who destroyed all the property and attack people in the streets. Well, what should we do? We should give them bouquets. I mean, because he said they have not got a fair shake in society. So we're back to this again. No one is responsible for the behavior, unless you're a white-collar crime. They get Fox News, get Donald Trump. You know, those guys are different. They're responsible right. for behavior. But as far as these people in the low-income areas, uh, and I argue in the book that it, this idea is born of racism. The white, well-educated, affluent people who claim to be on the side of African-Americans are the biggest racist in the United States today because they do not believe in their heart of heart that black people are equal. Otherwise, they would treat them as equal. They would demand that they learn the, the vital virtues of perseverance and personal responsibility and self-control, but they've basically given up on them. They're saying you can't be like the Jews and the Asians and the Nigerians and the Mormons and everybody else has succeeded. So we're going to force you across the, the, the finish line with, with quotas and equity education and reparations and writing checks. No, that is the ultimate of racism, and it's coming today from the elites, not from some crazy right-wing white supremacist. The ironic part is that the African-American community in America, through slavery and then afterwards through discrimination in Jim Crow, did practice these virtues. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the most ironic thing that the thing that the left passed and said, oh, we have to hail this civil rights legislation, okay? Of course, legislation was probably needed you know, to, to fight against discrimination. Yes. But it hasn't served the African-American community. It served those who would seek to control the African-American community. Quick comment on that before yeah. our break, Bill. I, I would say, taking a step further, they keep talking about people of color in our society can't succeed because of racism and discrimination. Notice that two of the four groups I mentioned, Asians and Nigerians, are people of color. Right. And they're not held back by racism and discrimination. More about that in, in, in just a little bit. I'd like to talk more about that.
we're gonna well, we're gonna come back and we're talking about exactly that. So the book is The War on Virtue, How the Ruling Class is Killing the American Dream. Um, that is available both on Amazon and Sophia Press. Bill, one more time, uh, so everybody out there knows where could folks uh view the disenchanted kingdom? Where where could they look at that? It's on if you go to the video section on our website, Amazon Prime has it, uh front page has it, uh, Salem News has it. Uh yeah, it, it's not hard to find. Everyone out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network needs to buy this book. And you need to watch that documentary again. the The first step in this battle is to is to is to open your mouth and and to and to point all these things out. Bill Donahue's been doing that for decades. That's why it's always an honor for him to come on the front line with Joe and Joe and talk to us, so that we can bring what he has to say out to our audience. So we have another segment with Bill Donahue, and this is a great and imp- talk about the word vital, vital conversation in this culture war. So stick around. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo. We are way in the breach. Please follow Joe and I on social media at the Frontline TV on YouTube, and please follow us on Twitter at uh, at with Joe and Joe at with Joe and Joe. Stick around. We have another great segment with Bill Donahue. We'll be right back. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, fly solo today without Joe Resinello, but I am way in the breach with Bill Donahue from the Catholic League. We're talking about his new book, The War on Virtue, How the Ruling Class is Killing the American Dream. Now, before the break, because we know part of the smug elite playbook, Bill Donahue, is to always exploit racial tension, okay? So before the break, you were talking about, well, what about Nigerians? What about Asians? Aren't they people of color? They seem to succeed. They seem to thrive. Go ahead, Bill. I'm going to hand it over to you. Right. And they succeed because they come from intact families, as do the West Indies. Now, listen, the the, the average white guy, he wouldn't know if he saw a black guy in the street or is going to serve him in, in, in a restaurant, whether he's from Harlem or Nigeria. All he knows is he's black. But the fact is, if the guy from Nigeria, who's equally black, is the guy from Harlem, if he's a victim of discrimination, why is he succeeding so well? It, no, it blows an argument. It's, it's even so crazy now with Asians. They succeed so much that we discriminate against them in New York City and in the Ivy League schools and across America because they succeed too well. So we have to make up for the ones at the bottom. Instead of taking the people at the bottom and making them, give them the vital virtue so they can succeed and become upwardly mobile, we're punishing people of color like Nigerians and particularly the Asians by saying too many of you succeed too well. And 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 this is this is another example of racism. We should treat people as equals. It shouldn't matter. We should be colorblind. See, what's going on today with this critical race theory, that's where it comes from, is there's an attack on the legacy of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. They hate him. They can't come out and just say it, but they hate his legacy. He believed in the content of your character, not the color of your skin. They don't care about character. They don't care about virtue. They do care about pigmentation, all right? They do care about the color of your skin, and that's all that matters to them. However, they're thrown for a loop when they see people of color like the Asians and Nigerians. Well, they're succeeding just like the Jews and the Mormons and lots of other people. How can that be? Their whole idea that racism is what holds back African-Americans and to a lesser extent uh, Hispanics blows up on them. 
So that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is to show, and I'm not saying that there hasn't been a legacy of racism and discrimination. I live in the real world. Actually, I live, I've lived and worked in Honest Harlem with black Puerto Rican kids in the 1970s in one of the most dangerous areas of New York City. And then I worked with, uh, I was the faculty advisor to the basketball team working with a lot of black athletes uh, and their girlfriends when I was a professor at a, at a college in Pittsburgh. So I've worked long with blacks to know that they can learn like everybody else. Stop lowering the standards because that's what the racist white liberals do. They lower expectations because they will not treat black people as equals. Bill, let, I want to stay for a second on education. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a real softball, okay? Uh, but I think it's important to talk about um, as an example because I agree with you. I think the greatest example of systematic racism in the United States, uh, I, well, two two greatest examples. One is big abortion. The other one is big education. Okay, in the city of Newark, New Jersey, this is from a couple of years ago, so my numbers might be off a little bit. You uh, the state spends twenty eight thousand uh, dollars per student to send a student to uh, Central high school, okay? Uh, St. Benedict's Prep down the block, which serves the same demographic, okay, uh, as all of you could guess, St. Benedict's is a Catholic school, does, uh, they educate kids for half the amount, about 14 grand a year. I think it might even be less than that. I want to stay on racism. How is it not racist to tell, which are mostly single moms, let's be clear about that. Again, we live in the real world, that when that mom says, uh, I don't want to send my young son or my daughter to Central High School. That school's broken down. Three out of 10 kids graduate, and one out of 10 kids goes to college. St. Benedict's Prep, 99% of the kids go to college and 100% graduate. How about you save the taxpayer 14 grand, give me a check for 14 grand, and let me send my kid to the school I want that's doing as good a job as St. Benedict's. How is it not racist to tell that woman no? Because well, I, see it as, I see it as flat-out racism. Well, it is. And, and and in fact, I point out in the book, War on Virtue, that all the, the elites, from, from President Biden to President uh, Obama to Nancy Pelosi, uh, there's no end to them. They all send their kids to private schools, but they're all opposed to the public schools, uh, they, they, to, to, to a school choice, I should say. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I also point out, uh, uh, Peterson, the, the educator uh, from Harvard, points out that public school teachers are more likely to send their kids to private schools than are the rest of the population. So if, if the public schools aren't good enough for their kids, precisely whose kids are they good enough for? It's the teachers' unions that are doing this. They own the Democratic Party, as do the trial lawyers. They all come together. The teachers' unions do not want charter schools, which are public schools, but are privately run. They don't want private schools, they don't want, which are non-sectarian, they don't want Catholic schools, that's for certain. I worked in St. Lucie's School in Spanish Harlem. I saw the good work there on 104th Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue, and the public school directly across the street from me had to be closed down by the city of New York because of the gang warfare and the rapes. I know what can be done. And so here we have the situation where the elites never want to live with the consequences of their ideas. It's the same thing with the crime. They're the ones saying abolish the prisons, defund the police. But like Cori Bush, they spend tens of thousands on, on private security that the taxpayers are paying for them. They live in gated communities. They live in low crime areas. So they, of course, never live with the consequences of their ideas. It's always the middle class and the working class 
who is, let's face it, they hate the working class, the white ruling class. That's why Hillary called them the deplorables. Mm -hmm. Like, they hate the working class. It's the, it's the sons and daughters of the cops and the firemen and, and the iron workers and the bus drivers and others who are the people who are the backbone of this country and who the ruling class hate. They want their kids to be bust. They want their kids to have low-income housing units being put up next to them because they can always afford to escape the consequences of their ideas. So unless people wake up and realize that the people, they may claim in terms of their rhetoric that they, are, they have nothing but empathy for black people and whatnot, and they're suffering, why then don't, would they, do they not support intact families? Why do they teach that the nuclear family should be destroyed? That's what Black Lives Matter taught. That's what the Smithsonian Institution of African American History teaches, that the, black, that, that the nuclear family is no better than any other alternative. And why are these people not pushing for school choice? Why do they want to keep blacks down? See, that's where the ultimate racism is. Uh, fortunately, Asians and Hispanics and now Muslims are learning about what's going on, and they are moving away from the Democratic Party, which has had a stranglehold on them for a long time. It's beginning to break loose. Well, again, and it's breaking loose because, like I said earlier, they haven't they haven't shut our mouths yet. Bill Donahue joining me at the front line with Joe and they Joe. Can't. They can't. They can't. It's, it's that pesky little thing called the First Amendment to the Constitution. Okay, and and it's all of it, by the way. People say, well, you mentioned the First Amendment. Yes, the right to free speech, free association. Okay, the right to to freely practice my religion. Yes, I get to bring my religion into the public square. You don't relegate me to the outskirts. Religion is not meant to be practiced in my home. I could bring it out into the public square, whether I'm a politician or not. Okay, one quick aside, Bill Donahue, to show you the hypocrisy. You know, we're from New Jersey. I live in Arizona now for the last year and a half. But I saw firsthand Livingston, New Jersey, is one of the more liberal uh, suburbs of, uh, of Newark. Okay. And I remember a few years ago when there was a proposal, okay, this is a liberal town, uh, to build multi-unit housing that was going to welcome low-income families. You know what all the liberals said to that one? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. All right, because why? Oh, my property values are going to go down. Well, aren't you acting a little bit racist? You're saying that you don't want poor people and probably people of color, if you're talking about Newark, New Jersey, okay? You don't want poor people living next to you. Um, I, I, I thought it was so eye-opening. You know, sometimes I don't know if they realize just how hypocritical they are. But we got to go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. Yeah, in, in 1985, my first book came out, The Politics of the ACLU, and in there somewhere, I forget where it is, it's been a while, I wrote about how middle-class blacks in Forest Hills, Queens, and New York opposed the, the, the development of low-income housing units in their neighborhood. And the white liberals said to them, well, why would you want to be opposed to that, uh, that the people coming in are your people? And they said, no, they're not our people. They may be black, but we worked hard to get out of the ghetto. And we don't want it's it's low income people. Nobody, unless you're an out and out racist, and there are very few of them. Most people object to people of a lower class coming in. They wouldn't care if they're the same color as skin or not. The only way you would know somebody's a, a white racist is be objecting to middle class black people coming into his middle class neighborhood. That would be different. Uh, but people independent of race, if you're middle class, you don't want low income people of any race living in your neighborhood because they bring with them the values which help make them low-income low people in the first place. And by the way, Steph Curry, the great uh, basketball player for the uh, Golden State Warriors, 
He's a known liberal, all in favor of, of all these forced integration. He came out here about a month ago and said, wait a minute. They're talking about building in low-income housing units right near my mansion. We don't want that. We have to fight it. Oh, yeah, it, it's it's not in my backyard, but it's always in the Biden's backyard, in the cops' backyard. Yeah, put them there. Right. And if, and if you disagree with that, of course, you are a racist, according to them. The War on Virtue is the book, How the Ruling Class is Killing the American Dream. That's available at Sophia Press. Bill Donahue is the author, the CEO of the Catholic League for L Religious and Civil Rights. Bill, let's um, let's talk about Pope Benedict. Uh, God rest his soul. Um, he famously talked about the dictatorship of relativism. relativism. Um, now, uh, we've, I've been hearing about relativism my whole life as a philosophical idea. There is no truth. Uh, you know, we've all heard it. I'm more interested in the dictatorship part of that phrase. What did he mean by that? And how, how does that pertain uh, to your book and the situation we're going through right now? What is that? Dictatorship well, that of relativism. Thought, well, I think what he's referring to is thought control. And that's what we're talking about here. You're not allowed to say, listen, the nuclear family is the blue chip family unit. No, you're told now that there, that all the alternatives, this is the relativism part of it, they're all equal. And if you disagree with them, you might punish. So, for example, it's now considered to be an example of white supremacy, of whiteness, to believe in hard work, to believe in self-reliance, to believe in, 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 in that two plus two equals four. They're actually teaching this in the school that everything is relative. There's no such thing as an absolute. Uh, and if you disagree with them, there's the dictatorship. You, you will be punished. If you don't use the right pronoun to refer to some individual who, for some mental reason, thinks that he's a they, then you will be punished. Instead of helping the person who has this, this mental malady uh, overcome it, we're going to punish people for stating the obvious. If you're one person, you can't be a they. If you're a man, you can't be a woman. If you're a woman, you can't be a man. Men can't menstruate. Men can't have, become pregnant. Now, if this is controversial, then the whole the whole society is over with. That's why we have to push back. The average person knows that all this stuff is madness. And if you take a look at the at the surveys done on this, African Americans who have been the least educated in school are the least likely to believe that a man can become a woman and vice versa. Who's the most likely to believe it? The people with the postgraduate degrees. Yeah. What's happened to them? They've been drinking the Kool-Aid of their professors for too long. The one thing, the one thing I always found interesting was when uh, was it Proposition Eight? Was that the ballot in California yes. several years ago yes. about gay marriage? The largest demographic group that voted against that that voted against gay marriage were black women, and the media was in a tizzy because they had to try to figure out a way to 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 uh, to to not talk about that. Uh, because they, they blamed the Mormons and they said, well, the Mormons were no, no, actually, interestingly enough, African-American females were the predominant group that stood against that legislation. Again, Bill, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And this is one thing I think we have to do more than anything else is when they want to talk about race, I put my hand up. OK, I say I don't I don't view the world through that through that lens okay i don't view the world through the lens of class okay to me it's not racial struggle it's not class struggle to me it's a battle of good and evil of truth and lies okay now yes would you say that i'm putting on my catholic hat yes but there are many people who not just catholics even those who are non-believers again getting back to logos who say yeah but i might not believe in let's say necessarily the way catholics do in objective truth but i obviously believe in order and when i look out the window that's all I see is chaos. And I think we have to fight against them pigeonholing us and forcing us to talk about race and class. 
I don't want to talk about it. I want to do what Bill Donahue does. I want to talk about right and wrong. I want to talk about truth and lies. And that's why you're at the front line with Joe, Joe and Joe. Bill, let's keep it moving a little bit. I know, I wish I could talk to you for hours. You're busy. We're on the radio, so we have a time limit. So let's keep it moving a little bit and try to get to some uh, other important points. The sexual revolution. Now, I hear the collective whine out there. Here go those Catholics. They just want to talk about sex. The sexual revolution has been devastating, not just for African-Americans, but for our society in general. OK, uh, Pope Paul VI wrote Humanae Vitae, which people think was just a, a, a ban on contraception when it was actually a very prophetic document because he he foresaw all this happening. All right. Based on the idea of the, uh, the, the contraceptive mentality, the separation of the procreative and the unitive elements of sex. OK, talk about how devastating this has been uh, over the last 50 years or so. <laughs> Well, back in the 1950s, uh, abortion was illegal. You had no sex education in the schools practically whatsoever. The birth control pill didn't exist. It didn't, come, didn't become commercially available until 1960. We had low rates of sexually transmitted diseases, illegitimacy, out-of-wedlock births, and the like. Now, today, of course, we've had abortion basically legal now for, for, for decades. Sex education has not gotten less traditional, it's gotten uh, more traditional, it's becoming less traditional, it's out of control, they're now, now offering pornography as books to kids in the middle schools. So we now we have the pills available for, for decades. Why is it that the sexually transmitted diseases and the out of wedlock births and the abortions and everything else, that should be supposed to be very small. Actually, they've exploded over the years. Now, the people who say, I don't want to be told what to do about my body, it's my business, are the most likely to wind up in the morgue at a, at a premature age. They're the most likely to wind up with all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases and AIDS. It wasn't cloistered nuns who were going into the hospitals when we discovered AIDS in 1981. It was the Hollywood freaks and everybody else who said on the college campuses, I can do whatever I want now. Go ahead. And you're the one suffering. If you don't put a... A, 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 if you don't tap the brakes, if you don't put a, a harness on, on your basic primor, primordial instincts, and this is particularly true of men, you're going to pay the price. Prom promiscuity kills. And that's what the sexual revolution is all about. It's about celebrating the id, the, the pleasure principle, as Freud said it. That doesn't make you free. You wind up like uh, uh, Michel Foucault. Uh, Foucault is the, is the Frenchman who said, oh, there's no such thing as age. He says that's a social construct. So he had sex with men and with boys, and he went to the gay bars, and he died prematurely in his 50s of AIDS, which he thought was a social construct. I didn't know social constructs put people in the grave, but I guess it does. I guess it does. One one quick aside, one of the most moving things I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I've volunteered more um, when I was living... Um, in the Northeast with um, with the uh, Franciscan, the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, uh, Benedict Rochelle's order, um, and the sisters, uh, both the Friars and the sisters, the sisters of life. But one time I went with uh, my brother, uh, Joe Resinello, to uh, the Missionaries of Charity down in the West Village. I just said, just a quick anecdote. And I remember Joe was telling me, because he did a lot of volunteering with the MCs, okay? That's Mother Teresa's group, for those of you who don't know. And the men in there were dying of AIDS. It was a very depressing place in that regard. And they either had gotten AIDS through homosexual activity, uh, drug addiction, or both, okay? 
And Joe and I, I remember talking afterwards because I saw the love and the compassion on the part of these women, these Catholic women who are serving Jesus Christ and his poor. And at that moment, these are the poorest of the poor, these men broken um, with the dying of AIDS and everything else. And it was the Catholic Church that was there to comfort them. And all their friends that told them, just go out and have a good time. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's a social construct, like Michelle Foucault said, or whatever. Where were they? They were still in the bars. They weren't there comforting their friends at their last hour. The missionaries of charity were. Uh, let's keep it moving a little bit, Bill. Education. We talked about education, but let's talk about for a second higher education. Bill, what could we do? What could we do? Give us maybe some realistic solutions, because obviously they're the ones that are perpetrating this. But, but I would say they're they're some of the the, the main culprits that uh, in this culture war that we're fighting against. Can we do anything? Can we defund them through the Department of Education? Uh, can we require them by law to have diversity of thought in their philosophy departments, in their history departments, amongst their faculty? What can we do? Because they seem to be an imp a, a very powerful group when you talk about, let's say, higher education uh, in mass. Back in the 1980s, uh, Steve Balch and Herb London founded uh, two Jewish guys, friends of mine, Herb has since passed away, founded an organization called the National Association of Scholars. It was heavily uh, populated by guys who were on the left, predominantly Jewish, who moved over into the center or to the right, and then many Catholics joined. They're, we didn't even talk about issues like abortion and drugs and things like that. We were concerned about academic integrity, merit. We were against the idea of, 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 of thrashing Western civilization. We wanted the university to get back to what it was called to do, and that is the pursuit of truth. And it's still in existence today. We've made some success over the years, but quite frankly, National Association of Scholars has, has been eclipsed by the fact that there's so many, not just in the social sciences and humanities, it's affected even the natural sciences, certainly the law schools, this idea of, of radical equality and radical individualism at the same time. Now, what we can do it, it to begin with, Catholics, when you're thinking about sending your kid to a school, don't assume that because it's a Catholic college or university that it's, that it's Catholic. That's your biggest mistake. You better take a look, for example, Georgetown University, very distinguished Catholic school. What's Catholic about it? They have two Russian groups on the campus. Hoyas for choice, and they have one in the law school. Now, I've spoken to Jesuit priests who like Georgetown and have taught there, and they say, well, it doesn't mean that Georgetown is necessarily sanctioning uh, abortion. I said, so you wouldn't have any problem with anti-Semitic and racist groups on the campus, would you? Oh, well, that would be different. Well, tell me how it would be different, Father. <laughs> All right, yeah. So find out what's going on. Some of the Catholic schools, many of them have become corrupt. Uh, and and I, I actually embarrassed one very famous Jesuit, I'm not going to mention him right now, uh, and I said, can you tell me, Father, what's the difference between Georgetown University and George Washington University? He knew what I was talking about. Look, there are a lot of Catholic schools that are embarrassed to be Catholic, but they like the label, and parents have told me, well, my kid can get a good job there. So we can't get a good job at George Mason University uh, just across the river there? Of course you can. I have one of my employees... Uh, here does a great job. He came out of George Mason. Uh, so you, you have to start with ourselves. Don't always say, well, we have to start with the big macro thing. Remember what Mother Teresa said? You know, people say, well, I, I can't save the world. She said, don't try to. Save one individual. And then you save another individual. Don't. This is a cop-out. 
I can't change the whole society. You can begin in your family, with your friends, with your neighborhood, in the choices that you make, and, and also holding up a big stop sign to people once in a while and saying that, no, that's wrong, and I'm not going to go along with that. I, I think that's a, especially amongst family members and friends. That's a very brave thing to do. That's not, and you know this, Bill Donahue, not an easy thing, but it's something that we have to do. I've been trying, you know, since in my journey back to the church and beginning to practice my faith again about what fifteen, seventeen years ago. Having met my wife, everybody in my family knew I was a hooligan. Um, I didn't live a Catholic life. Um, I was a practical atheist, even though I did somewhat believe in Jesus. But I try more than anything else. You know, we open our mouths at the front line with Joe and Joe. But I try in my life to let my family members see, because they have something to compare that to. A Catholic life lived. For all the problems and for all the things we go through, Christ forgives us in the confessional. We, we're sinners, okay? But to strive, to move forward, to do things that people might not expect. I think that's one of the most important things we could do as Catholics is, is yes, open your mouth. But in the meantime, if you're opening your mouth and you're not living, uh, you're not living according to what you say you believe, uh, I don't think you're going to get too many converts. And I think a lot of Catholics need to get, get around a lot of the cultural, uh, the cultural uh, uh, infiltration into their families. And like you said, put up a stop sign, get rid of Netflix, you want to make a movie that Jesus Christ was a homosexual? Well, now I'm going to cancel you. I'm canceling you. And do these things and take these steps. And people will respond to that. I probably have time, Bill Donahue, for one more question. So, And again, there's so much to uh, to talk about. Let me, let, me, let me end with this. We have about three or four minutes. Cultural communism. Now, people throw around Marxism, communism. I think sometimes just the same way the left uses the word fascism. I quite frankly don't think they know what they're talking about. So I'd like you to identify what that means in the context of the culture war. What is cultural communism or cultural Marxism? First, let's talk about Marx very quickly here. Marx believed that you would have an economic revolution. The working class, uh, the proletariat, the urban factory worker would rise up against the capitalists, and then we'd have socialism and then eventually communism. Now, by the time you got into the late 19th century, uh, early 20th century, an Italian Marxist by the name of Antonio Gramsci came along and he said, listen, uh, Marx was wrong in thinking that we should look to the working class. We should look more to the people who command the cultural command centers in society. It's the schools, it's the colleges and universities, it's the media, the entertainment industry. Those are the people who affect your ideas. The church, let's infiltrate the church. It's, it's ideas that change people. Don't expect material conditions as Marx expected it. Now, and that is only taken even further by the Germans in the 1940s and 50s in the Frankfurt School, which then moved into Columbia University in the mid-1960s. The idea they blend Freudianism with Marxism. It's all a hatred of Western civilization and Christianity. You know, there's some good news here, too, though. And a lot of people don't know this. On his deathbed, Gramsci converted back to Catholicism. So I think there's hope for everybody. A lot of us go down the wrong path. That's that's normal of human nature. But one of the great things about the Catholic Church is we understand forgiveness. When Bernard Nathanson, the Jewish uh, uh, atheist uh, abortionist who founded NARAL and committed tens of thousands of abortions, when he finally realized in the 1970s with the sonogram that he was truly killing a live human being, he not only stopped, became pro-life, but he became a Catholic. And they asked him, why Catholic? There's a lot of religions out there. You, you were an atheist Jew. 
He said, because no religion puts a premium on forgiveness more than the Catholic Church. And for what I've done to babies, I need all the forgiveness I can get in society. We have a lot to be proud of, too. We shouldn't be defensive. I'm not saying you have to wear your Catholicism on your sleeve, but you should never back off and tell people like you're ashamed to be Catholic like they are at Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I'm so happy you said that about Antonio Gramsci because, you know, it's something we bring, Antonio Gramsci, somebody we bring up on the show. Yeah, the, the, the our enemies never like when those who at one point were on their side, they don't like conversion stories, whether oh, no. it be Antonio Gramsci or whether it be Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Um, and thank the good Lord that they did and many others who convert. Bill Donahue, always a pleasure. Again, one more time. Uh, well, tell again, let everybody know again one more time where they could view the documentary that's kicking butt, the uh, Disney Disenchanted Kingdom. Well, if you go to our website, the first thing you can see is a big advertisement for the War on Virtue, which just came out yesterday. And if you go to the video section, you click on that, you can see the, the movie and, and you can see it for free from us. Or if you want to pay a nominal fee, if you prefer, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. Excellent. Um, and yes, please, everyone out there, go buy the book, buy it on Amazon, buy it on Sophia Press. We prefer you buy it on Sophia Press and support our Catholic publishers. Bill Donahue, always a lively conversation. Um, we're with you in the culture war. Joe and I have learned a lot from you. We are inspired by you and your actions and, and everything that's going on um, at the Catholic League. And you know that you always have our support. Thanks again. And I know we'll be speaking to you soon. Thank you. You know, you, you, you Italian Catholics have the same passion as this Irish Catholics. <laughs> hey, a quick, very quick five-second aside. I watched your I watched your debate from me a few years ago with Christopher Hitchens, amongst <laughs> other things, and I remember at the time saying, that's the way you're supposed to debate aggressive atheists. Bill Donahue, thanks again, thank and thank you. you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, download the app, share it with your friends, follow Joe and I on social media at the Frontline TV on YouTube, and at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. And remember, Remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.